Hebrews chapter 13. We may wrap up Hebrews today. If not, we will wrap it up next time. Hebrews chapter 13. We're at verse 18. So remember the context. Jews around Jerusalem who believe in Jesus, this letter was written to them, those that live in Judea. Already the persecution is hit them, and it's going to start hitting them much harder. The persecution is hit hard enough. They're thinking about going back under Judaism rather than walking in the faith in Jesus Christ just to relieve the, the, uh, the pressures that are on them. And he's warning them, if you go back into Judaism, you're going to end up back in Jerusalem and you're going to end up dead during the, uh, um, dear, during, during the uh, conquest that Rome is going to utterly wipe out Jerusalem because of the, the Jewish revolt that it would, is going, about to occur in that city. So, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18, remember, he's bringing together, he's culminating now this letter, this long letter that he's written to them. Verse 18, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you sooner. So he says, pray for us, and then he interjects a a thought here, And then he picks it up again in verse 19. I urge you to do this all the more. What's to do this? It is pray for us. I urge you to pray for us so that I may be restored to you all the sooner. He says, pray for us. Pray for us. This is what he's asking them to do. He's asking them to pray for us. This man believes in prayer. He's in prison. We don't know who the author is, but it certainly appears as if he is writing this from prison. It appears as he's writing this from prison. But he really believed that through their prayers, they could be, he could be delivered from his prison cell. And he says, pray for us, meaning that there's more than one of them in prison. So, so he's in prison and he says, he says in verse 19, And I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you the sooner. Pray for us so that I may be restored to you. In that he says restored to you, it means that he has been with them formerly. He has been with them before. So they know him very well. He has lived with them before. He says pray for us. This man believed in prayer. You know who else believes in prayer? God believes in prayer. God believes in prayer. So so when, when people sinned against Moses... When his brother and sister came against him, he says, you better have Moses pray for you. And Moses prayed for them. Aaron prayed for the people when they sinned against Moses and Aaron. People that came against Job, Job said, you better go to Job and have him pray for you or else a great fate is going to befall you. God believed in prayer. Simon, the magician, when, when Peter to- told him the fate that was going to befall him for not believing... Simon the magician said, you pray for me so none of this happens. So that Peter could pray for him. When Abimelech got into big trouble, and, and uh, God told Abimelech, you better go to Abraham and have him pray for you. God believes in prayer. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, go and, and share your sins one with another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So obviously God believes in prayer. And so this man being in prison is saying to them, pray for us, pray for us. You've got to pray for us so that we can be delivered. So he really believed that through those prayers that he would be delivered. 
And then he says, the part that was interjected in verse 18 is, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. We are sure that we have a good conscience. Very important to maintain a good conscience. This is why we take the Lord's Supper each Sunday. To allow the Lord to search our hearts, to open up our hearts before the Lord. It is so important to have a good conscience. Turn to Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. And, and we're going to look, reading from verse, from verse 1. Paul is on trial before the council. So the council is holding him on trial. And, and you have the high priest is there and the 70 uh, elders who are, who, are in the, uh, who are in the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin being two-thirds Sadducees, one-third Pharisees, and then you also have the high priest. And so here Paul is making a defense. They allow him to speak in Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. Now, how can anybody say, I've lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day? He's not talking that he never sinned. I mean, he talks about how he's a greater sinner than all, all sinners because of the way he persecuted the church. But it's because of the work that Jesus did to make his heart right. When Jesus comes into a life, He cleanses us of our sins, and then we can walk with Him. And He says, to this day, I've been living my life with a perfectly good conscience. To this day, I have this good conscience. Then the high priest took issue with this. In verse 2, the high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Paul then said to him, God is going to strike you. You whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So Ananias, so remember there were two high priests. Ananias was the one who was supposed to be serving as high priest, but the Romans had deposed him from his priesthood because he didn't like him. And, and in his stead was appointed Caiaphas, his son-in-law. So Caiaphas was the high priest that was recognized by Rome. Ananias was the high priest that was recognized by Israel. And he ends up having trials before both of these people. But this is the one before Ananias. And so they overlapped. But, but uh, uh, the Jews never gave up a a acknowledging that Ananias was their high priest, although Caiaphas is also called in the book of Acts high priest, and they reigned, reigned in a sense, simultaneously. So Paul, so, so Ananias commands Paul to be struck. That should never happen at a trial. The, 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 it is written in Jewish law, they should not be struck. They did the same to Jesus, they did the same to Paul. So they strike him because he said, I have a perfectly good conscience. And Ananias, being the high priest, being unredeemed, could not fathom that a man could have a good conscience and could speak like that. So he had him struck. And Paul says, are you going to strike me, you whitewashed wall? Meaning that you might be white on the outside, but inside you're full of, of, of wickedness. And then they said, how can you speak to the high priest like this? And then Paul says says, uh, uh, I, I, I wasn't aware 
that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Now how could Paul not know that he's high priest? By his position there, by his leading the thing, by his dress, he knows he's high priest. This is Ananias. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knows the high priest by his face. He's seen him. You see that Paul never apologizes for what he said. He said, all he says is, I didn't know he was the high priest. In other words, he's not my high priest. (laughs) My high priest is sitting in heaven. He's not my high priest. Paul never apologizes for this. His conscience is clear. But this tells us what we should be doing. As those who are leading, those of us who are leading, should have perfectly good consciences. Meaning that God calls us to things so our hearts have to be open to God in repentance. This thing of a pastor, this thing of a leader living a duplicitous life is a wicked thing. God calls us to honesty before Him where we, where we say, God, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. In me. Lead me in the way everlasting as it, as it says in, in the book of Psalms. Lead me in the way everlasting. Duplicity in the life of a leader, is a disgusting thing. Paul says, my conscience is clear. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, our conscience is clear. We have led you with a clear conscience. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. So here Paul is writing to, to his, his, uh, his son in the faith, Timothy, and he says, he says in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3, Paul is writing and he says, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculations rather than the furthering of the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is the goal of our instruction. It is not to talk about, you know, the the details of genealogies and fight about these things. He says the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is the way that leaders are supposed to teach. This is the goal of our instruction. He says in verse 6, For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. He addresses this again. The Scriptures address this again. Peter does. In 1 Peter chapter 3. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, reading from verse 16. First Peter 3.16, and keep a good conscience so that in the things in which they slander, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God sh- should will it that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. If you keep a good conscience, those who even come against you, those who re- revile your good behavior will be put to shame. You know, I saw this just recently so, so there, was, there was one occasion, and I told you about this before, where there, there was a faculty meeting several years ago, and, and uh, um, somebody was all upset that I had sent an, an email to, to the whole department inviting them to an event where a, a, a speaker was going to be speaking, a Christian speaker was going to be speaking 
on, uh, on uh, um, uh, the cosmos, but this Christian speaker comes from a Christian perspective, and, and this was Hugh Ross, and, and, uh, um, and so, so uh, somebody got really upset with me at that faculty meeting that the day before I had sent out this email to the faculty. So the person running the faculty meeting went around and said, everybody should comment what they think. So it got to one, one, one uh, uh, person, and she said, um, so, so rather than even addressing that, that, that I had done this very evil thing and in inviting the department to a Hugh Ross event, ter- terribly evil thing, rather than saying that, she said, you, 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 you frightened me when I first came here. I said, I frightened you? How did I do that? You gave me a Bible. You're just like my mother. I said, you know, I, I, I knew you were kind of struggling. You looked like you were struggling when you first came. And, and I remember meeting with you at the, at the faculty club for lunch. And we, when we walked back to the building, I remember bringing you to my office and giving you something. I don't remember what I gave you but it certainly fits my M.O. I give out a lot of Bibles. So if I gave you a Bible, I, you know, I, I, I have to confess, yes, I, I gave you a Bible. You caught me. Um, I, I didn't say you caught me. But, and, and, uh, so, so what happened was, in this, in this flood that occurred recently, their house, her house flooded. And... Uh, um, so the chair of the department said, you know, I know you're going around with students and cleaning up houses. Could you go and do her house? I said, sure. So I got a bunch of students and we, we did her house. You know, we cut off the drywall. We carried all the furniture out, which means that I didn't carry anything. I, the students carried everything. There was a, there was a, there was a, a king-sized bed, a king-sized bed that did not split in half. And, and uh, it, the thing was waterlogged, you know, so a king-size mattress waterlogged, but, but I, had, I had the Rice rugby team with me. And, and, and so they carried it out, and we, the drywall was cut off and everything. And while we're doing this, she comes up to me, she said, Jim, why are you doing this for me? And I said, because you need it, no problem. This is exactly what the scriptures say. You keep a good conscience so that the things in which you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. We are to maintain an attitude toward people that comes when they come against us. We are to maintain a loving attitude and a good conscience. That's what we are to maintain. That's not the only time I can speak of, of times when, when, when uh, uh, my colleagues have said things and come against me. And then in their times of need. Rick Smalley, the big Nobel Prize winner, he used to say really, really unkind things about Christians. And, uh, uh, and, and then he used to say unkind things about Jews as well. And, and, um, but he ended up coming to the Lord. So a few years later, he ended up coming to the Lord. They will be put to shame. It says it's better, if God should will it, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. We're to keep a good conscience. This is what he calls leaders to. To keep a good conscience. We are not to react back in the same way that the world would react back. We are to maintain a good conscience. Do you see that our calling 
is a higher calling. And especially as he brings us up into roles of leadership, our calling is a higher calling. We are not to revert to what the world reverts to. Our calling is a higher calling. Okay, turn back to, to, uh, to Hebrews chapter 13. So, he says, you're to pray so that I can get there and you maintain yourself differently. You're to walk in a good conscience. Now in verse 20 of Hebrews chapter 13. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd. How does he describe God? He describes Jesus as the God of peace. He says the God of peace, the Father of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd. The God of peace. Our God is a God of peace. He's not a God of... He doesn't describe himself as the God of judgment. He's described as the God of peace. The God of peace. Turn to, to uh, um, John, the Gospel according to John, chapter 14. John chapter 14. And we're going to read verse 27. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. This passage has seen me through so many difficult times. I remember when I was your age, I was an undergraduate. For me, finals were a very heavy time. I remember one of the associate pastors in the church saying, you know, as, as, as finals week was approaching, he said, so are you all caught up? How can anyone be all caught up? That's impossible. Do you know what I mean? There's always more that you can study. You're never caught up. Even when finals are all done and you're done, you're never caught up. You, you just get through at the position that you're at somehow. You're never caught up with everything. Is, is that still the case or is, are those days over? It's still the case, yeah. So I will never say to you, so are you all caught up now? You know, you've, had, you've had the whole weekend. <laughs> so, be all caught up. <laughs> so this verse used to just speak to me. I would meditate on this verse and I'd just say this to myself and would keep me from getting too worried and too flustered. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Do I give to you? My peace I give to you. Say, Lord... Give me your peace. I am going to take my burdens and I will leave them right here at the foot of the cross and I will take your peace upon me. I need your peace upon me because I feel so flustered and so many things going on and so much I have to get done. Lord, give me your peace. Then he says, do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be fearful. I'll be with you. I would take this verse and I would meditate on this verse. I tell you, just, just copy this verse. Write it down. 
Put it, put it on, the, on, on the screen of your, 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 your phone. Just do that. Make this word your meditation. Make this verse your meditation. And see. Test now. And see that the Lord is good. Test Him. Put this verse before you. And see that He brings a calmness to your heart. Every one of us goes through times that are very heavy. He describes Himself as the God of peace. You are about to go through great suffering, he's telling these these Hebrew Christians, these Jewish Christians that are living around Jerusalem. You're about to go through great suffering. And he describes God as the God of peace. What you go through now is a testing ground. This is the time that you're to take these very words of Scripture and make them your meditation. Peace I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives. In other words, this is nothing. The world has nothing that they can give to you like this. Go ahead, sit with some counselor in the counseling session at Rice. As wonderful as those people are, they cannot give you the peace that the scriptures themselves will give you. Because God will come and minister to you. He is the God of peace. Those counselors have their own flustered moments just like everybody else. You never see Jesus flustered. You never see him flustered. He's not like, oh man, how much we got? To, you know how many people I have to heal? Would you just back off from me right now? A lot to do, you know? It's tough being the son of God. All these people pulling on me and saying bad things about me. You never see him. You never see him like that. You never see him saying to the disciples, all right, enough now. It, 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 it's, it's my chilling time now. It, it, it's about me. How about somebody do something for me for a change, huh? You never see him saying that. Jesus is a man of peace. In the midst of the storm, he is the man of peace. He says, my peace, that very peace that I have, I give to you. You say, how can that be? Because he's God. Because it's a miracle. Because he comes by the Holy Spirit and he moves upon a life. And he descends upon you when you ask of him. But most believers never experience this because they never ask of him. They never ask. You do not receive because you do not ask, it says in James chapter 4. Peace I leave with you. Turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. Look at something else he says. I would also meditate on this verse when I was in the midst of of the very season that you guys are going into. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see why I would come and exchange my burden with his? Because he says, I won't overwhelm you. I say, Lord, I just lay this at your feet. Lord, you know all the things that I've got to get done. You know all the projects I've got to complete. You know all the things that I've got to write. And all the chapters I've got to study. Lord, I pray for your peace in the midst of this. He says, come to me. Come to me. 
all who are weary and heavy laden. Are you weary and heavy laden? If you're not, this is not for you. But if you are, this is for you. If this is the description, that you're weary and heavy laden, he says, come, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. This is the man of peace, the God of peace and the man of peace. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is a learning experience. We learn from him. We learn from him. I remember I was, I was in, in the last year of my PhD. I had four months to go, or three months to go, and, and, and uh, my professor was not letting me stop to write up my thesis, and I knew I had to start on my, at my postdoc on a certain date. And uh, he just wanted me to do another experiment, another experiment, another experiment. And I remember him walking into the laboratory, and uh, um, and he saw that you know you know all this pressure on me. And he says, "Jim, what's wrong?" I'm like, "Well, duh." You know, didn't tell him that, but that's the way I felt. You know, he wouldn't even let me start writing my thesis. And I said, uh, "I just I just have a lot of, to get done to to start writing my thesis up." He says, "Oh." He was from another country. Oh. <laughs> shouldn't take more than two weeks to write a thesis. <laughs> what world are you from? If you've done your work efficiently and have written up as you've gone along, shouldn't take more than two weeks. Just formatting. Remember, I didn't have a computer in those days. You, you, would, you would write this thing by hand and hand it off to a secretary. There were two word processors in the department. And I was paying a secretary to do it at night on the department word processor. And uh, it, it was on a floppy disk, which is about this big, which is floppy. That's why they called it a floppy disk. Before they had the little hard plastic ones. Um, and and uh, then, he, then, then he said, Jim, I assure you, life will only get harder. There is no comfort from the world. The world has no comfort for you. God is the God who says, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you peace. The world has nothing for us. Nothing for us. This is why he says, Come to me. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you peace. If you do not know the Lord this day, if you have not invited Jesus into your life, I say, come to Him. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Open your heart this day and let Jesus come into your life. Don't let this day slip by. If you don't know the Lord, if you have not invited the Lord into your life, don't let this day slip by. Come to me. He is a good and a gentle and a peaceful God. He doesn't want to overburden you. He says, take all your cares. You take all your burdens and you put it right there at his feet. And then he says, you take, you take his burdens upon you. His burdens are easy. His burdens are light. He fills you with strength. 
Come to Him this day. Say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Don't let this day slip by. Don't let this day slip by. You don't know whether you're going to have another chance. You don't know whether you will have another chance to come to Him. You don't know. None of us knows. Come to Him. If you have not invited Jesus into your life, say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Let us cry out, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Come to me, He says. For you who know the Lord, come to Him. Maybe you've never learned what it is to take up your burdens and cast it upon Him. Maybe you've never experienced this. This is the story of my life. Taking burdens, taking projects that I don't know how to do and cast upon Him. I had one young man in my office, he works for me, he's a believer. His project, I don't know how we're going to get this. We've tried this, it hasn't worked. We've tried that, it hasn't worked. But I know it can work. We've tried it. Nothing's working. I said, come to my office. Let's just get on our knees and implore the God of heaven and earth, heaven and earth, to, to work and to move and to give us the answer. This is what I believe. I've done this many times in my career. Most people never receive this because they never ask. This is exactly what Jesus says. Come to me. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. You're weary, you're heavy laden, you can't do this. I'll give you rest. You take my yoke upon you, I'll take yours. Lord, I can't solve this. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Take this. And take my burden, he says. Take my burden. It's light. I'll take your burden. Come to me. Don't let this day pass by. Don't let this experience pass by. Don't let this time in your life pass by without learning to leave these things on the shoulders of the Lord. To ask of Him to carry your burdens. This is the God of peace. This is the one who has peace for you. He is described as the God of peace. This is the Jesus who was never neurotic. This is the Jesus who was never worried about anything. Even when they were, they, they were killing Him, He says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Man in total control. He says, they don't take my life from me. I lay it down. No man can take my life. For I lay it down and I'll take it back up again. It's Him. It's Him who calls you. Learn how to leave this at the feet of Jesus. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. Remember, come to Him in this time. Leave your burdens with the Lord. We are going to pray now. For those of you who know the Lord, learn how to leave your burdens with the Lord. Pray with me. Pray with me now. Leaving your burdens with the Lord. Come to Him. He is the God of peace. Take His yoke upon you. And you take all the different burdens. Think about all the courses you have. Then examine this, and this exam, this. Lord, I, I, I lay that organic exam at your feet. Lay it at your feet. And then if you don't know Him, pray with me. Pray with me this day. Jesus says, come to me. Say, Jesus, come into my life. And I come to you, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Abba, Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. 
We thank you for the words of our Lord Jesus, the one who lived a perfect, spotless life before us, who suffered and died and rose again to bring us to the Father. And Lord, I first of all pray here this day for those who do not know you. As you implore them, come to me. Come to me. Father, I pray for those here who do not know you today, that they would come to you and that they would say this prayer with me. Father, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me for rejecting you. Forgive me for the way that I have rejected you. Lord, come into my life. Forgive me this day, I pray, Lord. Forgive me this day. And Father, I pray that Jesus would come into my heart and I would follow you. I make a decision this day to follow you. This day, I follow you. I will be named a Christian and follow you. And Father, for those here who know you, Jesus says, come to me. Father, I pray that they would come to him this day and do something they may have never done before. And to pray, Father, pray with me. Father, I lay these burdens at your feet. Lord Jesus, I lay these burdens at the cross. I lay these finals at the cross. I lay these these final projects at the cross and all the homework that I have to get done and all the things that I've got to wrap up, I lay it at your feet. And I take your yoke upon me for your yoke is easy and and your burden is light. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. In this time, in this time, lay your burdens at the feet of Jesus and experience what it is to have the peace of God in the midst of the fire, the peace of God in the midst of the storm. Lord, teach these young people your ways, I pray. Teach them your ways so that as they go through life, they would not be like so many other believers in the world who never extract from you the promises that you lay before them. Father, I pray that they would learn to experience the peace of God. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, Jesus said. Not as the world gives, but peace as only God can give. Father, may they experience your peace in a new way. I pray thee, O God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.